Okay. Let's say a blessing. Baruch Ata Adonai Eloheinu Melech Olam Asher Kishanu Mitzvotav Vetzivanu Laasok Bidivrei Torah. Amen. Oh, and welcome home, Carol. Um, this week's portion is a double portion in Leviticus, Acharemot and Kedoshim. Acharemot is, which means after the death of Aaron's sons, um, which happened in Parshat Shmini, is the first portion, and chapter 16, the first chapter of Acharemot, which you can find on page 770 in here, 770. is the description of Yom Kippur in, in biblical times, where Aaron the high priest seeks atonement for the entire people of Israel. This reading, chapter 16, is also, therefore, the reading on Yom Kippur, but it also comes around now, because we're in this weekly cycle of reading, but it's also... A, also used as the reading on Yom Kippur. Um, the next parsha, Kedoshim, which I usually focus on um, when they're together, is the parsha that says, love your neighbor as yourself. But I've done that plenty. So, I mean, not the loving part, the studying part. <laughs> I'm doing my best with the loving part. And, and so I thought... Given that this is such a fun and thoughtful group, if we put our uh, thinking caps on, as it were, uh, um, on both sides of our brain, you know, so that we can dive into some of the symbolism in the, the ceremony of the scapegoat, which is what we read about here. And I was just blowing my mind re- doing a close Hebrew reading of one particular section that I've been very curious about that I'm going to ask you to explore with me uh, because I, that's, that's my... You're always helping me by exploring these things together. Uh, I'm, we're going to get to that, and that's what I want to do today. So you're all here. We're going to focus on the part of the Parsha, as happens every year, that grabbed my attention. Um, because if it grabbed my attention, then there's something, to, there's something important to follow there. So rather than go with kind of the, some, of the, <coughs> some of the more worked over material, I wanted to do something that I don't do so often with this Parsha. So here we are in chapter 16. We're going to, uh, I'm going to read with you the, uh, how, how the section goes. And then, uh, when we get partway through, I want to pause uh, with a couple of verses that really grab my attention, okay? So, the Eternal One spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, 
who died when they drew too close to the presence of the Eternal. Um, we just did that. That's right. Yeah. So the way Leviticus is organized is that <coughs> it's in chapter uh, 8, I believe, um, chapter uh, 9 of Leviticus, this, ep- this incident happens where Aaron has gone through all, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, Aaron has gone through all of the stages of making it possible for the holy fire to manifest in the midst of the people. His Two of his sons see it, and they go in, and the fire, instead of consuming the offering, consumes them, and they die. Um, and uh, then the next two portions, which we studied last week, Tazria and Mitzorah, dis- discuss in detail, symbolically, all the ways you lose integrity, you lose so that you can't be in the presence of the sanctuary, and how you can be restored to that wholeness so that you can go in and enter into the presence of God. You can be a place where God's energy can dwell. Because for me, the metaphor behind this is how do we create a self, a community, a world in which the holy energy can be felt and, uh, and, and can be present. The power of life and death, that, sh- that sort of uh, resonating power, how do we live in its presence rather than just sleepwalk through life. And what we're talking about here is the balancing act of being a human being. Uh, Nadav and Abihu, who yearn for this presence, uh, lose themselves in it. They disappear in it. And yet those who don't acknowledge the presence and live humbly and awestruck in its presence are more like Pharaoh, who says, I don't know yod and I am not letting the people go, for whom life is only a projection of their own ego. And so the human challenge of living in the presence of the holy If you believe that's going to happen, you will. I want to live in the presence of the holy. I want to look at another person and uh, not uh, thingify them. I want I want that kind of mystery shimmering there in all my interactions. I want gratitude and wonder to be present with me at all times, even while I act in the world. That's the balancing act. If you come too close before without the proper preparation, mm-hmm. then blow up before you even get there. Uh, Pauline, Bob couldn't hear you. Just I'm sorry. I'll, oh, okay, I'll repeat. I, I've had my hearing tested, mm-hmm. and I'm on the edge. Yes. Don't recommend a hearing aid. Well, my voice is on the edge, but okay. I will try to increase mine. Bob, no worries. We'll handle it. It's, it's good I practice. It. It's good practice. Enunciate. For, good. And for sure. 
So I said that, um, that when you try to come really close, perhaps before the appropriate preparation, internally, externally, whatever is needed, you can blow up before you get there. Julia. For a long time, I thought that what happened to Nadav and Abihu was a criticism of independent thinking. And I didn't like that. Uh -huh. But <laughs> I really begun to reevaluate. I don't, I don't think that's what it was. Maybe it wasn't just, maybe it doesn't, yes. Right? Maybe they were, weren't just young rebels who had yes. to be slapped down. Uh huh. Uh huh. Good. Maybe they were without ballots. Maybe they were only rebel rousers without the ballots. So the, 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 the book of Leviticus and the Torah as a whole is, is really, really concerned with boundaries. Uh, we don't have to be as concerned, right? But in terms of the, the, the intensity of the, of the boundaries that are described and established in the book of Leviticus. Uh, but uh, we still have to understand that uh, there is a time for um, every purpose under heaven. And uh, we need to be able to figure out when it's time for this and when it's time for that. And that key word, uh, look at verse 2. Vayomer Adonai el Moshe, Daber el Aharon achicha. The Yerhevavi said to Moses, Talk to your brother Aaron. Tell him, Al yavo bechol et el hakodesh. Et means a time. Uh, it, it don't come at any moment into the presence of the Holy. Rather, lest you die, for I appear in the cloud over the cover. Um, you have to, it has to be in its proper moment. So uh, that's, uh, that word et is going to come up again, and I, I, it has to be timely. Maybe Nadav and Avihu, so this is the, verse 1 says, after the death of his sons Nadav and Avihu, Moses' first instructions are, do this in a timely way. Not every moment is the time to come into the presence. Uh, you have to be ready. The moment has to be ready, etc., which I find very interesting. And what is it? Uh, timely. It's making me think of those kids in, in Baltimore. The kids in Baltimore. Um, Talk loud, Carol. It's making me think about those kids in Baltimore and the discussion that, go, that goes on in the media around it. Which, which goes from the, on the one side they're thugs, and on the other side you can't say the word thug because that's a that's an, a, a euphemism for the N word, yeah. and everything in between, and and the, the the some people trying to understand the the motivations out of their deprivation, some people just dismissing them because they were thugs. And, and then all those beautiful people who came the next day and started singing and dancing in the streets. And I, don't, I don't know exactly where this all went, but, but I, it, it's, the, it's the, the spectrum. It's, it's somewhere along these, this way, 
is some kind of an understanding of what this is, I think. So I want to ask the question, this is one thing, so when do, how do we discern, how do we know when it's the right time? In Song of Songs it says, do not awaken love until it's, uh, until it pleases, until it's time. Is it over and over and over again? Over and over again. Um, so I think one of the nice questions embedded in these verses is, how, is it on, a, on our own spiritual path, our own, not just spiritual, but our own paths of just being, being people, uh, is how do you know when it's time? The time is ripe to say something. The time is right. How do you... What a beautiful art of living question that is. Yeah. I, I mean, um, is there anything about <coughs> trusting yourself and your instincts? Did that they, that um, the the Torah doesn't use that language. <laughs> that that's not the t- the the idea of of trusting yourself is a modern idea, uh, which might be uh, uh, in more traditional language might be called listening for God's call, for instance, mm-hmm. or something like that okay. in another idiom. Okay. But we would say list, learning how to listen to the and the, the the bridge is this idea that God's voice is a still small voice, not just a booming voice, and that you have to listen. And, it's this, inside and that's, of you. by the way, what we'll be doing in this May workshop. Yeah. And it's inside of you. So I mean, that is, is in a sense. You're well, is it inside of you, or are you? See, this is our modern. This this is our modern um, uh, bias with a small b. I'm not saying it's wrong or right. Uh, when we get quiet enough, what is it that we're hearing? Is it from within us? Is it? Are we? On the other hand, maybe what we're doing is becoming good radio antenna for a message that's greater than us. When we talk about our higher self, is that inside us or is that something you know, that surrounds us? So um, all is to say that they're all metaphors. When we say it's deep inside me, um, that's a metaphor. And the Jewish way, again, of treating that is um, that the point deep inside us in the Jewish um, spiritual talk, is called your the uh, um, in Hasidic talk is called the nikuda primit, the inner point, and the inner point is where yourself connects to the greater self. Uh, so um, is that within? Is that, now I keep pointing right here, so it is inside me in some physically perceived way. Where do I hear it? On the other hand, sometimes I hear things from outside of me. That's, I don't mean to get too waylaid. Uh, yes, we would say, how do you learn how to trust yourself? And in the process of trusting yourself, locate the, of the multiplicity of impulses and voices within each person. How do you learn which ones to give greater uh, weight to? And, you know, because how do you, which ones do you count to 10 on? And which ones do you act on immediately? This is the art of being a human being, a tuned-in person. Yeah. Yes, Liv. So I have an experience, a very recent experience, that combines, to me anyway, that combines to me anyway the story of Aaron's sons and the notion of timeliness, when is the proper time. I'm very, very involved in, addicted to the long form of Tai Chi. And I go to class every Saturday afternoon, 4.30 to 6. 
I never miss class. Never. There will never be a chance when I miss it. <laughs> My daughter is ill. I need to drive her this weekend to Bethesda, Maryland mm -hmm. to see a specialist. I do not want to drive her to Bethesda, <laughs> Maryland, no matter how sick she is. So this was an opportunity for me to look at I'm being absorbed in something outside of myself wow. and ignoring what is the absolute time when I must be with my child. And I'll miss class, so what? You know? But it's, it's like I can feel the tension drawing away from me, you know, in all, but I, I, I want to share this experience with my child, you know, with her while she's not a child. But, um, so when I look at this passage of Aaron, I know what that fire's about. I could get eaten up by it, you know? And I know when the time is coming for me to say, okay, you know, what are my priorities? What am I doing? How can this happen to me that I'm actually, I'm not actually tempted, but that I'm going to miss my class to do something so important to me personally at a heart level. So I get it. That's a good story. Wow. Yeah, that's a great example. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Because you get fed deeply by the Tai Chi. Apparently. Yes. <laughs> but um, in Jewish spirituality, the, and I'm not saying that this contradicts other systems. I'm saying in the Jewish spiritual system, uh, the goal is not the experience. That's right. The goal is how that experience prepares us to treat everyone and everything we meet. Mm -hmm. So if the experience takes precedence over in the, what we know we must do for the people we care about, then we've lost track of, of, of it because uh, we become, we're becoming um, God junkies instead of um, uh, devotees, one might say. Thank you. Did you want to add something, Pauline? I, I just, because you mentioned speech pathology at the beginning, I couldn't help it. My mm -hmm. ear was opened. Um, can you hear me? Okay, no. okay, good. Okay, yes, if you don't mind my No, no, it's fine, it's fine. So I, I was um, looking, I was listening, I'll do the room, okay. I was looking at the word, um, I will twirl, looking at the word um, eight, you know, time, and I kept thinking of hate, and what turns if we do call eight, I know call, call is not a uh, but I kept thinking call eight, that if we just do it at any time, whether we say something at any time, Chet is a we sin. do something at the is wrong time, faith is the, oh. missing the mark. Right. right. And if right. we do it at the wrong time, how we, the, this, this importance of time in Jewishness is deep. But done at the wrong time, we turn it into missing mark. I was just scattershot. Thinking, yes. So I was thinking of eight and hate, and this is what called eight and hate. This is what arose. Nice trash. Good. Now I'm going to read on uh, because I want you to keep this word eight in mind. Tell your brother Aaron he is not to come at will into the shrine at any time behind the curtain, in front of the cover that is upon the ark lest he die. And uh, again, look at the Hebrew in verse 2. 
the curtain is called the, for those who do Hebrew, we're now in the uh, verse 2, El HaKodesh Mi Beit La Parochet. Parochet is the curtain. El Pnei HaKaporet. This is in the, this is in the, one, two, three, four, fifth line down on page 770. Parochet is curtain. Kaporet is cover. They're anagrams. They just have, they, they just have the, it, Parochet, Kaporet, same letters, and one is a curtain, the other is a cover. So we can think about these words. Now, what does Kaporet have in, that we know about? Yom Kippur. Lechaper, which means to expiate, means to cover over. Maybe to whitewash. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, so the word kaporet, which is the cover of the ark, and kiper, which is to atone, is going to come up over and over again in this. Uh, for I appear in a cloud over that kaporet. Thus only shall Aaron enter the kodesh, the holy place, with a bull of the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering, and he shall be dressed in a sacred linen tunic with linen breeches next to his skin and be girt with a linen sash and wear a linen turban. Um, These are the um, tachrichim. When When a Jew is buried traditionally, they are buried in linen shrouds. And that's, the tradition comes from this, because the verses that we recite when we are <coughs> cleansing the dead person, washing them, and tahara it's called, purifying them, and clothing them in these linens is the language of preparing the high priest to enter the Holy of Holies. Now that's really deep. Um, the, our tradition, I, I hadn't thought, I'm listening to myself talk, our tradition took this verse and assigned it to the preparation of the dead to meet their maker. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Um, and it's a very sacred activity for any of us here who've participated in tahara. The word tahara comes from the same, is tahor, which means ritually um, prepared, purified, to be able to enter the presence of God. Do you know how, how early that custom? No. No idea. No idea. I have to do some research. Because it says something about belief in the afterlife or something. I don't think it says something about no. belief in the afterlife. It says there's something. No, but it says there's something. You don't just... Right. It says there's something. There's something. That's right. So it may be post-biblical yeah. uh, with the idea that we're going to meet our maker, yeah. whatever that there's means. Right. But it comes right out of this. Why did Nadav and Avihu die? Mm-hmm. Because they were in the presence of God without being ready. Um, and uh, so, so this is about... So anyway, that, that gives me a lot to think about. I was there with uh, one of the rabbis when you were away for Arnold Stein. For Arnold Stein's the, I, purification of his body. Yeah, it was quite an experience. Quite an experience, yes. And, and, and so in, and, um, when you prepare the body... You put the, a turban on and a sash. And well, a the the linen the linen um, the linen garments are very simple, yeah. so it's not exactly a turban. It's a it's these days when I've seen it, it's 
kind of a top with a hood and breeches. Um, and a sash. Is, I, hmm? And a sash, and a sash oh, that okay. ties it together. Oh, I always thought of a shroud was just like a big piece of fabric that just wrapped oh. around the person. Oh, I'm sure it is in certain cases, but uh, these are particular. I don't know how old this tradition is, <coughs> hmm. but it says they are sacred vestments and he shall bathe his body in water and put them on. And that's what we do mm. in preparing the body. I never really looked at this verse as in that, in that light before. Hmm. That's interesting. <sighs> Amazing. It's interesting if water became sacred again. Pardon? Their water was sacred because it was <clears throat> so precious. The rachatz bamayim. Uh, well, water was the way of, uh, was the symbol of purification. Yeah. Maybe we can change our consciousness without water having to become rare again. Yeah. I hope so. Right. And it's yes, what, it's what allows life. Water is allow, allows life. Yeah, I mean it's, it's central. And from the uh, community of Israel, he shall take two goats, seirei izim, for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. And Aaron is to bring near his own sin offering, the bull, to make expiation, kipher, be'ado, for himself and his household. And Aaron shall take the two he goats and let them stand before the Eternal at the entrance of the tent of meeting. That's amazing language, isn't it? Mm -hmm. The two goats stand before the Eternal at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and look what he does. He cast lots mm. upon the two goats. Mm. And one of them gets marked for yud heh vav -Hey, and the other gets marked for Azazel. Okay, anybody hear that word Azazel before? Uh, well, Azazel, it becomes one of the chief demons in all kinds of mythology. Uh, in modern Hebrew, when you say lech lazazel, it means go to hell. However, this is the only place in the entire Hebrew Bible where this word is used. Isn't that interesting? The only place in this chapter, it's used three times. Um, so we actually have no idea what Azazel is. We can make some reasonable, reasoned guesses as we read on. Uh, but isn't, when, when that happens, when you have no other occurrences, it's, 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 it's very hard to know what, you can't do the compare and contrast thing. Well, the words used this way here and this way here, so probably it means this. We don't actually know. We have incredible layers of additional storytelling about Azazel. Mm -hmm. but, but the same question is, why does it only occur only here? Wh why only in this chapter? Mm -hmm. the question. Yeah. Aaron, so we'll talk more about it, but I want to get more of these verses under our belts. Aaron shall bring forward the goat designated by Lot for the Eternal. Okay, so I want to just point out that this is totally <coughs> by chance. I, I'm fascinated by that. You take two goats, and one is designated for Yodhebabe and the other for Azazel. How? By, by tossing a coin. Um, 
that reminds me of Purim, right? Uh, that that uh, that and Yom Kippur, Yom Kippurim. That's one of the names of Yom Kippur and Purim have this say, have this interesting uh, um, uh, sound alike link. Yom Kippurim means a day that's like Purim. We've talked about that too. Keep in mind this idea that it's by lot. Um, while the goat designated, so Aaron shall bring forward the goat designated by lot for the Yudhevavhe, which he is to offer as a sin offering. So that goat gets sacrificed. While the goat designated by lot for Azazel shall be left standing alive before Yudhevavhe to make expiation with it and to send it off to the wilderness to Azazel. Um, now, what's the word for lot? Goral. I'm not sure I understand that. Two goats are brought forward. Right, now I understand, but why do they, they, they kill the one for the eternal, but they leave the one for the devil alive? We don't know if it's the devil. Or whoever it is. We don't know what Azazel is. Okay. Uh, and they don't kill it, they offer it. Right? Our bias is that killing it is bad. Right. On the other hand, good or bad, it's, its life is given to God. Is that the state goat? The Azazel goat? The Azazel goat gets translated in the King James as the scapegoat. Scapegoat, that's the, this is the origin of the term scapegoat. And, interestingly, scapegoat comes from the English escape. So think about that. This, this goat's going to escape. The scapegoat becomes a different term. Keep it in mind. Keep it in mind. We're just going to keep reading. This is so, this is so rich that I wanted to, to explore it. Aaron shall then off, offer his bull as sin offering to make expiation for himself and his household. This, uh, this verse 6 and verse 11, verse 6 and verse 11 are just exact repeats, uh, pretty much. Um, then he shall slaughter his bull of sin offering and he shall take a panful of glowing coals scooped from the altar before Yerhevave and two handfuls of finely ground aromatic incense and bring this behind the curtain and he shall put the incense on the fire before Yerhevave so that the cloud from the incense screens the cover that is over the ark lest he die. So the incense purpose clearly here is to keep a, 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 some kind of... Um, protective partition between Aaron and the Holy Presence over the Ark. Mm -hmm. um, which his sons may not have done. Oh, uh, we don't know what his sons did, okay. but it didn't that, work. That was back to the beginning ordination of the, in the second verse. L'chaper. right. He's, that's right. He's doing what he was told to do at the beginning of the portion. He shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger over the cover on the <coughs> east side. And in front of the cover, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Remember, blood is the life, life the power of life. Uh, he shall then slaughter the people's sin offering, the goat, Seir um, Achatat, bring its blood behind the curtain, 
and do with its blood as he has done with the blood of the bull, and ye shall sprinkle it over the cover and in front of the cover. Kiper, kaporet, kaporet, kiper. Thus, kiper al hakodesh. Thus he shall cover over or, or atone or expiate or um, purge the shrine, the kodesh place, the holy place, of the impurity, tum'ah, and transgression, pshaim and chatatim, of the Israelites, whatever their sins. And he shall do the same for the entire tent of meeting. So the Kodesh, we can guess here, might be the inner sanctum, and the tent of meeting might be the entire uh, uh, holy area. We're not exactly sure. Um, Which abides with them in the midst of their impurity. And the Hebrew says, Hashochen itam betoch tum otam. So our impurity here means that we're not fit to be in the divine presence. We're not, we're not up to it. We're not able to. And yet, the divine presence, shochen, that's the same word as shchinah, the, the aspect of God that dwells with us, mishkan, which is the name of the asuli mishkan, build me a dwelling place and I will dwell in your midst. So this is all about this big question I raised before, how do we continue to live in the presence of this of of, of the infinite mystery of being alive and the power of life and death. Um, when our we could say on a spiritual level, when our attention is so scattered, when we are so unfocused preoccupied, all the things that are the nature of living, uh, how do we continue to recollect ourselves, recollect? Texting re- through life. I'm sorry, we just that image of texting through life. <laughs> you know. Texting? Yeah. I mean, I don't text. Oh, texting, texting through texting life. Yeah. Through life. Yes. Right. Yes. Yeah. What, what it makes me think of is, is a moment in Hamlet where he has the perfect opportunity to kill Claudius, which is what he's trying to do the whole play. And he doesn't because he comes upon Claudius praying. And he doesn't want to send him to heaven. And then when Claudius then goes away, and when Claudius stops praying, he, or stops trying to pray, he says, my words just, just flew out. Then none of them, none of them went to heaven because I'm not in a place pure enough to send my, my mm. prayers to God. Wow. That's what Claudius said. That's what Claudius mm. said. Wow. <laughs> Interesting. Verse 17. And when Aaron goes to make expiation in the shrine, uh, uh, oh, oh, v'chol adam, when he goes in, no one should be in the tent of meeting when Aaron goes in until he comes out to make the kaper, to make atonement in the sanct, in the holy place. But when he has made atonement for himself and his household and the whole congregation of Israel, he shall then go out to the altar that is before Yodhe and purge it also. 
chiter alav. This word lechaper over and over. He shall take some of the blood of the bull and of the goat and apply it to each of the horns of the altar, and the rest of the blood he shall sprinkle on it with his finger seven times. Thus he shall purify it of the tum'ah, the defilement or the impurity of the children of Israel, and make it holy again. When he has finished cleansing, kaper, purging, atoning in the shrine, the kodesh, and the tent of meeting, and the altar, okay, so the whole sake sanctum has been um, restored despite living in the midst of our <coughs> distracted inattentiveness to the holy. It's been restored. It's Yom Kippur, remember. We're going to get another chance. That's the beautiful thing. We always get another chance. But um, it's, this whole section started with uh, in sixteen one where the Eternal One spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron. Is this all to purge their uh, defilement? That is a great question. <laughs> what, uh, what do you think? Yeah. Um, I think there's more. I think it's to purge their defilement. Plus. Plus. Everyone else's. Everybody else's. <laughs> Everybody else's. Everybody else's. Yeah. Well, I, um, I also think that their defilement was also handled earlier in Shemini when they were taken out and their clothes. So I think maybe not. I think it's not to purge their defilement. I think it's... Uh, uh, so, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't think so. Gail, you want to say something and then Pauline? Yeah, I, I think my own sense of it is that the reason it goes back to the death of Aaron's sons is that even though the Yom Kippur ceremony takes place a good many months later, it's still only less than, you know, six months later or less, actually less. So he is still presumably in mourning. And somehow it's an image of Aaron's um, selflessness in being able to do this ceremony of atonement on behalf of the whole community. And, and so I think there's something here about Aaron letting go of what, in our terms, we call ego, to just be a, a pure channel. Um, and so the reference is to after the deaths, because Leviticus is working us up toward the next sections, which have to do with being completely holy, being a pure channel. Oh, that's interesting. So if we read this as, as, in, a, as a continuum, uh, yeah. mm -hmm. okay, I, that's a good explanation. And, and your question is a good question. Pauline, what did you want to I say? I just have another, um, an, another lineage in our parashot that what I was thinking about when you asked that question, I think it was in Parshat Tzav, which was about two before here, two or three, Tzav. Um, and they talked about how, how impurity or being in an unholy state is you can contaminate one another and you can contaminate. And even in the last Pasha, that when, when you become impure and things come out of you that way, and you live, and it's about living in community, how you, we contaminate or we can easily contaminate one yeah. another. And therefore, I think that's why it then became a purification for everyone. 
they were all yes this, this, this is a continued discussion right. of the of issues of impurity the ones that mm -hmm. you know taking it out into the whole community and how do you become purified so it's a continued sorry, discussion you yeah. i'm just checking but, but you're doing great but it's it's and it's bookended by the references to Aaron's two sons who somehow commit some kind of major impurity and look at the time of year so, we and then we this. discuss this is what you need to do ritually to be able to be with God, and then we're going to get to more of the ethical. And in the next part, how close we're coming to Shavuot? Yes. In in this pasha, I keep thinking of that when we think about a spiritual development. How close we're coming to receiving revelation? It's going to be in a few weeks, guys. You know, we got to wake up, and what do we need to purify nice. ourselves? Taher libenu la emet. That's the line in the Amidah. Purify our hearts that we might serve you in truth. So on the spiritual level, this word contamination is a good word. It, it, uh, it, it's also, um, what do you call it when a, a disease spreads? Um, contagion. Contagion. A contagion, kind of. Uh, and how do we... How do we inoculate ourselves? How do we inoculate ourselves against the distractedness that is everywhere, uh, you know, trying to, um, that, it's that contaminates our attention so that we can pay attention and stay focused. And part of that is creating a holy space, a holy community. Holy, as we talked about last time, comes to the root for whole, W-H-O-L-E. Kadosh in Hebrew means set apart for the divine presence. So how do we create those spaces amidst our contamination? Uh, that's a good way of uh, translating this, I think. That's, that's interesting. Jerry? It's almost like it's being sterilized. The, the inner sanctum and the altar area uh, of this contamination, thinking in medical terms. You know. Right, we have to avoid the medical term. No, not avoid. We have to be careful with the medical terms because this is not a medical manual. This yeah. is about how to keep God in your pre in God's presence in your midst. Uh, and, but the analogies seem to seem to be apt. Pauline and then Ruth. Just a, another quick one because we just had the rabbi's um, class on the sages of our fathers to care vote the ethics of our sages that soon become the ethics of our mothers, the sayings of our mothers. Um, but we were talking about, we, we read a piece on, um, we should all become the students of Aaron. And it's often said because he was, number one, a peacemaker. He was the peacemaker. He was the balancing act of Moses. He was the one that taught us, um, you know, how to love our neighbors. But I kept thinking, when we asked the question, so how do we stay spiritually ready to be in community, that no longer, and Karban, the sacrifices that was done, was done by a high priest in order to become closer. We don't do sacrifice anymore. And I find on a personal level that when I pray in the morning, for me it's prayer, for somebody else it would be another kind of prayer. When I pray in the morning, if I go to synagogue on a Friday night, on a Saturday, or whenever, I, 
I am in a different space. There's no doubt about it. We no longer have a high priest or even the rabbi, which just means teacher, to be up there and doing it for us. That living community in today's world <clears throat> means what we do individually. And individually, we were given prayer when sacrifice and the temple was no longer there. I just think of That's beautiful. So being a student of Aaron to me means we have to each be our own high priest. That sounds rather. That's cool. That's cool. No, I like the way that sounds. The quote, the, the quote she's referring to, the, 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 pro, the proverb from the Perkavot, from the teachings of the sages, is Hillel. Hillel says, be of the disciples of Aaron, loving peace and pursuing peace, loving your fellow human beings and bringing them near to the Torah, to the divine teaching. Attracting them to the study of Torah. Mm -hmm. Attracting them to, uh, study. yeah, karvan, but the Hebrew word karvan is the same as an offering, bringing them near to God. Beautiful. Loving peace and pursuing peace. Loving peace and pursuing peace. Ohev shalom v'rodef shalom. Ohevet habriot umekarvan la Torah, and bringing them close to the Torah. Maybe his purifying enabled him to do this at such an unbelievable extent. I love the way Hillel understands the high priest's role as being about this. And remember, we were discussing the word shalom in Hebrew yes. means wholeness. Right? Shalom comes from the root shin lamed mem, which means completeness or wholeness. So the Hebrew word for peace is a word that um, might be translated as well-being, but even more so is part of a constellation of meanings that involves a sense of completeness or wholeness, not a sense of absence of conflict. Um, that's a different. That's that's a different word. Um, beautiful. So if if God is Shalom, what, you know, the rabbis say one of God's names is Shalom, peace. Uh, one of God's multiplicity of names is Shalom. And Shalom in all of it, Shlemut means perfection. Shalem means uh, wholeness. Uh, Shalem means fulfillment. You can get a sense of the Hebrew word from its, from its root. Beautiful, isn't it? Ruth, you wanted to share something. Mm -hmm. And they, they saw God under whose feet was the likeness of a pavement of sapphire, mm -hmm. like the very sky for purity. Yet God did not raise a hand against the rulers of the Israelites. They beheld God and they ate and drank. Mm -hmm. right. So that's that lovely image of wholeness. Yes. Being this. Mm -hmm. I, I just feel like that piece needs to come out and maybe into this conversation now. Which is different from from what we're looking at. You know, the other things that are there, but even important. You know, how to, I don't know how to weave it in. Good, good. And the, the fact that Nadav and Abihu are there, I I tell a story about that. 
that they wanted that again. And they did it, and so they entered the holy space from a place of wanting that experience again rather than of wanting to be near God and say, what do you want from me now, God? Um, anyway, that's one of the ways I read it. Uh, Susan and then Gail. Yeah, um, what you said about Judaism is not about the experience of knowing God, but the, the action that is taken as a result of that relationship. Of that relationship. Mm -hmm. So I see this unfolding as a very personal one first, that it starts with me and my Leviticus, and <laughs> which is what I want to do to Dubar Torah. Beautiful. And then after that, after that, I mean, that's enough. <laughs> but maybe it's not linear, so it's happening simultaneously moving into the community as a human being with what I've learned, and then from there moving into the world. And so it feels like that happens energetically when an individual practices this, that there's an energy that moves to the community and to the world, and it's all, that to me is contagious. Beautiful, beautiful. And the reason it's so important that Susan said it's happening simultaneously is that as much as we're informing the world, we are the product of the world that informs us. And so, so again, the illusion of the autonomous self is what we, what we are stuck with in our contemporary discourse. And so to kind of crack that open, it's important to talk about coming yes. from yourself but, not, but with the understanding that the deepest place you go in within yourself, you're going to wind up with everybody, with everybody again. <laughs> the and, whole yeah. family. The way I like, one of the metaphors I like is we're all unique, conscious points of view <coughs> of the one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so we have to honor our own conscious uniqueness right. while we stay aware that we're manifestations of something much greater. Uh, uh, Rob? The Buddhists say that, that um, the more personal you are, the more universal you are. And the more universal you are, the more personal you are. Mm. Something, an attempt to say that yeah. too. Yeah. Thank you. And Gail, you wanted to add something? Yeah, I'm not sure, but I'm still stuck with Aaron and, and everything that's just been said about Aaron and the sons. That in the sense of his getting that we're talking about, Wholeness, that all that is. All that is, wholeness. This is, is yod heh vod -he. Right. I am. Light and darkness, right. good and bad. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And so he's doing this offering on behalf of the community, knowing fully about the bad, not just the good, about the mm -hmm. suffering, not just the, not just the elevation. Two of his sons are... But the losses. Two of his sons are dead and two are alive. Exactly. Exactly. And he's going to. And he's going in in that awareness totally. Wow. Yeah, that's what I was trying. That to brings us to Job, who yeah. seems to not be able not to right. uh, go get go to God after his losses, yeah. uh, because Job's idea was this one-sided idea initially of if it's I all do good. This, then. If I do this, then it'll all be good, and I will. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yes. Obviously, this is very hard. 
<laughs> I don't even want to do it. Right, exactly. It's really easy when, when the sun is shining. Right, let's talk about it. It's a beautiful day. I love God today. It's not even today. It's the point that it's not all linear and nothing ever lasts. Everything right. is constantly in flux and happening on all levels. And for a moment, for um, uh, I don't know, millisecond, a nanosecond they call it, you know, you, you, there's a glimpse. I mean, that, that could be forever, but it could be forever. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yes, too. When we, when we say the 13 attributes of God, we're really wishing for that side of what we think that Hebrew Bay is. Yes. Even though it combines the worst and the best, and it's the good and the bad, it's all part of of life unfolding. I just thank you very, very much for taking the ride with me. Because it's really, uh, God, it's fascinating. Fasten your seatbelt. Oh, boy. It's a hell of a ride to take Hell of a ride. It's a hell of a ride to take yourself. That's right. It's hard enough. That's right. Thank you. Julia, you wanted to add something? I had so much trouble with these dichotomies, that all of these beautiful things that, that happened to us, and we're having two babies, and it's a beautiful day. When are they coming? Uh, end of May, beginning of June. End of May, wow. beginning of June. Uh, Not one, two grandchildren, two, God willing. Two, two, two families. And then, well, all you have to do is put on your computer or open the paper and look these mm. horrible things are happening to people that we wish we could protect. Right. And I, uh, truthfully, I've never gotten it together. Never got it. I don't get it. It's good to say I don't get it. Because if there's something there that's aware of us, I don't know how to say it. I don't get it. And yet, I want to take the whole ride. And, uh, yeah, I understand, Julia. I don't have an answer. Except, don't look at your computer so much. (laughs) (laughs) Tend your garden, yeah. (laughs) I was thinking, driving in today, I don't know why, maybe there's a lot of bugs coming out of the ground. But, right, okay, so I, I was thinking that, that, in, in this universe, this moment in time, we're all like on these little ant hills, okay? And all we see are these other ants and this ant hill we live on. And there's no one that, I think of Reb Zalman think, trying to teach how to say a blessing, think through the eyes of God as above. I said, how can you do that? Because we're each on these little Ant hills, and who the hell has the? There's no way to have this whole picture. There's right. no way. No way to have the whole picture. And so you, you have to let. You only have intimations. Little, yeah, of mm-hmm. our little ant hill. That's right. At this particular moment. That's right. There's no way to get the whole picture, but and yet. How much to let go? Let's of take a look. Certain, yeah, well, certain actions can make my ant hill. And you have to go I today. Have to go. I have to go. And your actions may occur See you soon. on other angels way beyond your ever known. I just want to make the kids bigger. <laughs> um, I want to go on soon, but Betty, you haven't said anything.
that it got you through those other ones. Nicely put. Nicely put. And I would also add that for me, the present moment is my refuge. Because rather than projecting all my fabulous, marvelous, excited enthusiasm about the fact that babies are going to be born, there's another place where God dwells. And that is in the now. Where at this moment, the world is spinning around. It's always spinning around. It's all happening. And we might, and, and yet at this moment, even in the midst of hard times, this moment can be a refuge for me, uh, where I dwell in mystery rather than in a sense of what's going to happen next. Uh, it's good for me. It's very helpful to remember that. Blaze? You know, when I do this gratitude practice, it's really interesting. <clears throat> Talk a little louder if you can. Gratitude. Yeah. <laughs> the, inter- the difference between being grateful for something <clears throat> and being grateful, period. And it's really can be very profound when I put my mind to it and my heart to it because... The I difference between just being grateful or being grateful for something. Right. Mm-hmm. So I usually start out with, I woke up. Mm-hmm. That's like the being grateful part. And then it's like all the other stuff gets added in there. You know, what, what, was, what was good that happened to me today or yesterday. But the really important thing is that I woke up this morning. You know, whether, I, whether it's literally I woke up, I'm still here, or whether it's, you know, I can be awake to whatever is happening and be in that awakeness and awareness and aliveness at every moment. Thank you. What's the traditional Yiddish and Hebrew or Hebrew thing you say when someone says, hey, how are you? Anybody know? Baruch Hashem. Praise God. How are you? Baruch Hashem. Um, That's a good thing to practice. Carol? Just with the theatrical references, one one of the things that I call about a lot of the kind of um, mantra, if you will, is there's a, I don't know what it's from, but it's a quote from Bertolt Brecht when asked, um, in, in the hall, let me get this straight, something about singing, and it's like, how do you, what do you do in the hard times? And the answer is, I sing about the hard times. And to me, that carries something oh. further with it. Because I'm not, if I sing, I'm celebrating life. And, and if, I, if I am able to celebrate the hard times, then I am able to move into the next good time and, and, and through. Something about the, the hard times cannot be a stopping place for me. They have, to, they have to take me through. I have to keep doing me through the easy times and the hard times. Keep singing. Yeah, thank you. Reb Shlomo Karbach that mm-hmm. said, what do you do when your heart is broken? You sing. He must have known Bertolt Brecht. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you sing about the hard times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah Bob? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. 
I don't know the quote, but it, when I listened to, uh, to it, I'm not sure singing about the hard times necessarily means celebrating. It doesn't necessarily yeah. mean celebrating. Yeah. I don't mean celebrating happy. Right. I mean right. celebrating expressing. Right. That's what I mean by celebrating. Being, being involved with it and being able to express. Sort of express it. Yeah. To feel it. To feel it. Allowing yourself to feel it, not to shut it out. Right. Yeah. right. So, let's see what happens with this next goat. Um, now look at verse 20 on 772. When Aaron has finished uh, uh, purging or expiating or atoning for the code, the holy place, the tent of meeting, and the altar, the live goat, Haseir Hachai, shall be brought forward. And Aaron shall lay his, both his hands upon the head of the live goat, v'hit and confess over it all of um, uh, the iniquities and transgressions of the children of Israel, v'chol pish'ehem, l'chol chatotam, all of their wrongdoings, their willful transgressions, their accidental transgressions, v'notan otam al rosh hasair, and place them on the head of the goat. So that, that's how it becomes a scapegoat. Yeah. V'shilach, v'shilach b'yad ish iti ha-midbara. And it shall be sent off in the hand of an ish iti. Where? Ha-midbara. To the wilderness. So ish iti means here we have a designated individual. This is... No, this is with an ayin. Ish iti means a timely person. Back to the timely... Uh, we don't... Now, why do we not know exactly what this means? Because this is the only time in the entire Bible where this phrase is used. So we have Azazel as the only time. And we have this idea of an ish iti, an unnamed. Huh? What? God, a man with God. Ah, but that's with an aleph. I know, but I'm saying I still like this. You hear that? Yes, and I hear et like phone home. <laughs> so keep that phrase in mind. You put he puts the sins of the people on the head of the goat, and sent it is sent off in the hand of an ish iti. A iti is it is time or timely, a, a a prepared individual, a timely individual. A, yes. It doesn't just mean uh, a happenstance, somebody who happens to be there. No, uh, no that would be a different Hebrew word. Okay. That would definitely be a different, different Hebrew word. Uh, so, and, and bottom line, since this is the only time in the entire Bible where this phrase appears, or even the phrase et, you know, the word it, time, appears a lot. Ata with an ayin means now. Et, so ata means now. Et 
means bechol et uvechol sha'an, every time and every moment. Uh, these words we know, but this word iti, using the word et, uh, and conjugating it to refer to a person, it's like midrash time, everybody. Okay, um, to the wilderness. Vinasa. The well, no, it will to a place unknown, but the midbar. Okay, take a minute here and um, uh, Exodus chapter five. Um, you don't have to turn back if you don't want to. It's on page three fifty-seven, where it says. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, Ko Amar thus says Yudhevafe, God of Israel, Shalach et Ami, Veyachoguli Bamidbar. Send Shalach, same word, Shilach, send the people, send forth my people that they me, Yachogu, celebrate me, Bamidbar. In the wilderness. So, the, what I'm fascinated that the the ish iti sends the goat out carrying all the sins to the midbar. Um, <clears throat> Stu, I was just what is the whole thing of the midbar? It's freeing the people who had a slave mentality and letting them work it out so that they can end up getting to the front land. They're free. They're free. But it took that 40 years. Now the goat is going there with all these sins on it and it gives time for the goat to release all these sins and then become free again. Nicely put, Stu. Very nice. Let's read a little more and we'll see what we get. Thus shall the goat carry on it all the iniquities to Eretz Gzeirah. What does our Hebrew say? In uh, English says inaccessible region. Gezerah, mm-hmm. um, Eretz Gezerah, is the only time in the entire Torah where a phrase about now we know what Gezerah is. Gazar is to cut off. Um, so inaccessible could be. So in this two sentences we have. We have, in this little portion, we have Azazel. We don't know what that is. We have Ish-Iti. We don't know what that is. We have Eretz Gzeira. We don't know what that is, because these are the only times these phrases appear in the Torah. Um, I find that fascinating. I think inaccessible region, maybe. A cut-off place. Vishis. Um, and the rest of the sentence is Vishilach et Hasair Bamidbar. And the goat shall be set free in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are echoes mm-hmm. of Exodus here. Okay. Very interesting. A little more, and then we're gonna, I'm going to point a few things out. Mm-hmm. Then it says, And Aaron shall go into the tent of meeting, take off the linen vestments that he put on when he entered the shrine, and leave them there. He shall bathe his body in water in the holy precinct and put on his other vestments. Then she shall come out and offer his burnt offering and burnt offering of the people, lechaper, making expiation, atonement for himself and for the people. And the fat of the purgation offering shall turn into smoke on the altar. Verse 26. 
the one who set the Azazel goat free, the one who set the goat free that went to Azazel, whatever that is, shall wash those clothes and bathe the body in water and then may re-enter the camp. Um, and, uh, uh, and then in verse 29 it says, And this shall be to you a law for all time. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall practice self-denial, and you shall do no manner of work, neither the citizen nor the alien who resides among you. Ki bayom hazeh, Yechaper Alechem, for on this day atonement shall be made for you to purify you of all your sins. You shall be pure before the Eternal. It shall be a Sabbath of complete rest to you, and you shall practice self denial. It is a law for all time. That's, so this is Yom Kippur. Um, okay, so a few connections. And first of all, oh gosh, this is so interesting. Um, Ish, there's an unnamed person called the designated Ish, the timely Ish, who then comes back and, but... Who is this person? You wanted a long way And is it a person? Because it says wash those clothes and bathe the body, not his clothes or his body. Oh my goodness. No, the English, it's in the okay. personal in the it Hebrew. Is. Yeah. Oh, okay. uh-huh. Because it, it said on 28, it's the same thing. Wash those clothes and bathe the body. Yeah, no, it should have been his yeah. body. Yeah. Could you look at, because this is what occurred to me, could you look at Genesis um, 37, 15? 15, yes. Joseph, because I was looking at some of the words, and I wasn't, they look very related. That's right, they are. I'm so glad you thought of that. It's the same There are particular places in the Torah where an unnamed ish appears at crucial times in the narrative. So if you look at... um, Page um, 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 two forty seven. Feel free to pen, to to flip back there if you'd like. Two forty seven. Yes, Joseph is going to look for his brothers. Vayimtzaehu ish, a man found him. Behine, behold, he was blundering around in the field. The Sadeh. And the Ish asked him, Ma Tevakesh, what are you looking for? He said, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you please tell me where they are tending their flock? Vayomer Ha'ish. And the man said, Oh, they left this place. But I heard them say, and I heard them say, let's go to Dotan. Mm-hmm. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dotan. So the, the English translation here has Joseph wandering in the countryside. Is wandering in the Hebrew? Oh, wandering. Yeah. Uh, sorry, the English translation 
English translation has Joseph wandering. And yeah. that is that wandering in the Hebrew? Because uh, is, uh, to, is to be lost. Ta'ut is when. Mm-hmm. So he is. So Joseph is to'eh. Uh, 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 what's the right word? Wandering is not the right word. Um, blundering is the word I would say. Yeah, because a ta'ut is a mistake in Hebrew, and to'eh means to get is lost. He's like, he's he, yeah. Okay, so the, in in I guess it's union dream work. There is. Um, something called the unknown companion that can show mm-hmm. up in a dream. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's unknown to me. It generally is someone that I don't recognize from waking life. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it, um, it's a person, uh, it's me in my future, or it's a per- somebody with a message for me, or it's something from my unconscious that really, you know, wants to tell me something. But it's an unknown companion. That's what this reminds me of, an unknown companion. Let's look at the, yes, Stu. Well, I was just, I didn't want to interrupt that. But I always think that when I go into the wilderness, I'm getting rid of all the mishagas that goes on mm-hmm. in life, in people, family, mm-hmm. and there's a place of cleansing cleansing that occurs there. Now that's a modern one, I don't know. I'm sure that experience has been true for people forever. You so leave the you leave the habitation. Yeah. yeah, you leave the habitation, the domesticated realm to and you can cleanse yourself, purify yourself, restore yourself. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it's a place of danger as it, well as peace. It is, it is a danger, yes. Because you're no longer with the Protection You're no longer um, protected. That's right. Uh, can, do you want to add something, Gail? Yeah, I'm just thinking that the goat has already, the lot has already been cast. Okay. Right. But in the other two places that come to mind for me with Haish, with Joseph, <coughs> it's like hanging in the balance here. If he doesn't find his brothers, Maybe none of this That's right. that follows will happen. And the man sort of goes that way, you know, and casts the lot. And when Jacob wrestles with the man, we don't know ahead of time what the outcome is going to be. It is a casting, it's a similar quality. Page 220. That's all, it just feels related. 220. Yeah. You have to excuse me. I have to leave early. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thanks, Bob. Thanks, Bob. Take care, Bob. I hope you heard that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, verse 25. And Jacob was left alone. Vaye avek ish And a man wrestled with him until the rise of dawn. When the man saw that he could not overcome him, he struck Jacob's hip socket so that Jacob's hip socket was wrenched as the man wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, dawn is breaking. And Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And the other said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. No more shall you be called Jacob, but Israel, said the other. For you have struggled with God and with people and you have prevailed. And then Jacob asked, please tell me now your name. And he said, why do you ask my name? And he left. 
Okay, this is the next example of an un, the unnamed man in a moment of intense... Transformation. Transformation, that's the right word. Transformative moments, moments that will determine the rest of our lives. The next one is where, man appear, where men appear without names, oh, is Abraham. Abraham. That is on page... Um, uh, 123. Mm-hmm. And Yod-Heh appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he was sitting at the entrance of the tent at the heat in the heat of the day. Looking up, he saw, and behold, three men standing mm-hmm. opposite him. Seeing them, he ran from the entrance of the tent to meet them, and bowing down to the ground, he said, My lords, if I have had fav- found favor in your sight, please do not pass your servant by. These are the men who will announce that Sarah's going to have a child, and that Sodom and Gomorrah are going to be, the two other men go down to Sodom and Gomorrah. So this is the announcement that Sarah's going to have a child. No names. He got, Abraham gets three. So this is the other moment when an unnamed people or person in Torah appears. One to Abraham, one to Abraham, one to Jacob, one to Joseph. So my question would be, why is this unnamed person, Ishi, why is this the person, a specific, timely person, and how does that relate to where we are in this narrative as a people's spiritual journey and in our own spiritual journey. What's the difference? These were unknown outcomes, certainly. And these were unprepared people. They didn't even get enslaved yet that they knew of. (laughs) You know, if you were a goat, you really don't want to leave your herd and you need to be led away into the wilderness. I, I think of every time there is a purpose, and this is a more purposefully designated, prepared time of, of preparing yourself to achieve something of spiritual height. So the most famous place where it yes. is used is here, in Ecclesiastes. It says, "Lechol zman ve'et, lechol chefetz takat hashamayim, a time for every purpose under heaven. Et laledet ve'et lamut, a time to be born, a time to depart. Et la taat ve'et la akor natua, a time to plant and a time to uproot. Et la harog ve'et lepo, a time to kill, a time to heal." Et lefrotz ve'et levanot, a time to tear down, a time to build up. Et le'ahov ve'et lisno, a time to love, a time to hate. Et milchama ve'et shalom, time of war, time of peace. Et. So, um, the, everything in it, to find the person who can, that's why I've been thinking about the person who is able to be in the right place at the right time and know this 
I don't have any answers, folks. I just could not believe that this word is ish iti, is unnamed, and doesn't appear anywhere else in the Torah except in the Yom Kippur ritual, leading the goat, freeing the goat into the wilderness. Maybe it's a person who doesn't have any expectations of what needs to happen next. All this stuff is being cleared away, and we don't know what's going to happen. That's, that is Yom Kippur. But most, let me say it, I get very, I want to know what's going to happen next because I'm nervous. I want to know what's going to happen next. But maybe this man or this person is okay with whatever. A man who is in this moment. Mm-hmm. Ish et. <laughs> That's a great translation. That's a man nice. who, a person who is in this moment. Right. Mm-hmm. Et. That would be a legitimate way of translating it. Carol? For me, it's going a little bit further because I, I, keep, I keep imagining this goat going into the wilderness where men cannot follow the, the, the just the, you know, the goat who can walk up mountains and, mm. and kind of, oh. kind of, and so that it has to be a goat. It can't be, a, it can't be a person who goes so far out that mm-hmm. nobody knows and might survive and might not survive, but, but the goatness of it <laughs> yeah. Yeah. feels really important to me. And letting the goat go, that's the big deal. Letting the goat go so there should be a designated person. Because that's a huge deal. That goat is carrying my sins. What's he going to do with them? Where's he going to go? Where's he going to wind up? Go. Go. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. There's a letting go. Gail, you want to share? Yeah, it's... We already talked about this, but but in the, in my class, but it's fitting with everything here that everything up to now in Leviticus has been about creating the container within ourselves. Okay, not building the sanctuary and creating the various ways in which we make our commitment and our intention to serve. God again and again and again and again, and we get to finally the ceremony of Yom Kippur, which says every year you can you know you can always start over because you're going to miss the marks. You can always do this again, but this is the intention. And when we and then what's going to follow is so this is what it looks like when you've made this intention. This is how you will be in the world. All of the holiness stuff. This is what you will look like. Each of you, you will be holy because I am holy. You know, and and so that there would be somehow an, an individual in the moment. This is the yes. only way you can do it. Exactly. <laughs> I, I don't know if anybody ever Thank saw you, the special that's on. Um, you're talking about called Dig. No. I I only caught like pieces of two episodes and I, I don't want to watch it anymore because it's too intriguing and I need to start from the beginning. So I, it's on USA and it's on Thursday night. Yes, that's the archaeology. It's about archaeology? Yes. It's about, but it's archaeology, but not archaeology and it takes place oh, in Israel. There's so much Hebrew in it. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's called what? 
did. Did, did. Yeah, it and did. It, it's it the, looks it looks quite fascinating because it involves the under tunnels in Jerusalem and the messianic and the red cow and, and, and messianic and his murder but, and his but, yeah, and that children it looks, and all it sorts looks of quite, stuff. Yeah, and his children being bat mitzvah to slaughter something. <laughs> I don't know, but it's quite no. It looks really intriguing. Yeah, I get it, I get it. But the the two episodes I caught. Um, there, there was a man who was the only young boy, Hasidic looking, out there on a farm with a goat. And he was being prepared, prepared for something um, that was a very, very implicit, designated, specific journey. He didn't know what for, mm -hmm. but it involved him bringing the goat to mm -hmm. Jerusalem. Things to Jerusalem. He's not even sure there, but this is where he's to bring the goat. Of course, then this whole journey gets involved with murder and intrigue because there's all kinds of cover-ups going up about this site and people. Do it quickly because there's one point I really want to make, and we're up to two o'clock. You got to the point where this. Now I don't know the answer. You're okay. Got to the point where. He became responsible alone. Somebody was great for this deliverance. And he had to choose, literally, to hold on to the goat against what he thought was his own danger in order to make this journey. I kept thinking of him this whole, as soon as we said, oh, how interesting. Uh -huh. If you took a look at this guy, this young boy, this was it Sadiq. I mean, you could see the light shining through. It's so interesting, whoever wrote this show. So if, if anyone needs to go, uh, it's, it's 2 o'clock, but I have one more piece of this that I, I really feel like I, I must share with you. So I won't be offended if you have to slip out. So um, in the description of the birth of Jacob and Esau, which if you want to turn to it, you would find on page 173. And Rebecca's uh, pregnancy came to term, and uh, there were twins in her belly. The first one came out reddish, ruddy all over, and Kaaderet uh, Se'ar, covered with a hairy mantle, and they named him Esau. Okay, Se'ar. Okay, Se'ar, Se'arim is hair. What's a goat? Se'ir. Same word. Se'ir. Um, so, um, how far back do our, uh, stories about, um, Pan go, right? About the free spirit. Um, and then his brother came out holding his heel and he was named Jacob and Isaac was 60 years old. Okay, turn the page. Vayigdalu Hanarim, and the lads grew up. And Esau was an Ish Yodea Tzaid, a man who knew how to hunt, Ish Sadeh, a man of the field. And Yaakov Ish Tam Yoshev Ohalim was a man uh, who was Tam, we, it's hard to translate, blameless, upright, who dwelt in the tent, the Ohel. 
Okay, what I'm getting at here is that in addition to when you take the two goats and you decide, you toss a coin and one is for God and the other is for Azazel, earlier in Metzorah, when it's time to be cleansed, you take two birds and you choose one and you slaughter it and the other one you set free on the Sadeh. So there's this ritual of becoming a part of becoming um, uh, reintegrating into the holy community where there's where one is offered to God, slaughtered, and the other is set free over the field. In other words, into the Midbar. And Esau and Jacob are described, what's the tent of meeting? The Ohel Moed, right? The tent of meeting. Jacob sat in the tent, and Jacob is our father, right? Jacob is Israel. And Esau, who we know from the Bible itself, as opposed to rabbinic interpretation, isn't condemned. His whole line is listed. It's like he's, uh, he become, he's the one that got away. He's, he's, we, yeah. It's almost as though for us to, we have agreed to be in covenant with Yodhei to live around the tent of meeting. This is a huge give up in a certain way. It's, it's like it's in, being the chosen people requires this constant work. Do you follow what I'm saying? Yeah. This is, I like, I'm trying, and Jacob and Esau, yeah. the same, the, this yeah. language is getting used. It's like, I want to be Esau. It, it, you know, um, but Jacob's my, my father. I'm a children of Israel. And so, um, uh, almost, almost will, willy-nilly, you know, or for better or worse, I'm um, part of this covenanted people who have a task in the world, which is to maintain the holy space. Um, and uh, I don't have the answers to this. This is why I was going nuts while I was reading this this morning, and I was realizing all these connections, this binary sort of, uh, when you think about the Ishmael and Isaac. Ishmael is a wild ass of a man, it says, and he goes on his way, and we get Isaac, who, you know, and we get Jacob, and uh, all the way down. So I, I couldn't resist this, this like, thing that was going on in my head that connects being the keepers of God's um, sanctuary, requiring an intense amount of work, and, 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 a, and a loss of um, freedom, as it were, uh, to just... There's an offering to be drawn near. It's a sacrifice. We're sacrificing ourselves for this purpose. Sacrifice means sacred doing. That's what sacrifice means. Sacrifice means sacred doing. Right. Well, um, that's what Leah's doing with, with her daughter. She's sacrificing. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's right. That's right. She's giving up what, you know, really her freedom to be a... Yeah. To, but that's the spiritual level of our balance. It seems to me what we need to, to keep in a balanced place in life is a constant letting go of what we can't control or of what we don't find to be refined in us and a drawing close to 
the spiritual to God to whatever you want to call it. And it's this constant thing that that keeps us that that endeavors to keep us in some balance in all these ways. There's something about the work of staying a covenanted people. It's saying yes to it. The work of staying a covenanted people uh, is there's a big give up in there. Uh, but there has its own rewards. Um, I can't. Is, I, Carol, you want to take a stab? I, I, was, I spent a day in Venice the other day. You yeah, did? I did. She opened Just in a Venice. Day. <laughs> I opened in Venice. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and um, I went to the ghetto and I went to the Jewish Museum, which is very small and, and kind of not very fancy. But, and it, but it has a wonderful uh, exhibit of the history of the Jews in. Italy, in Venice, actually, just in Venice, not even quite yet Italy. And it's so, we hate them, we'll, we accept them there. We hate them, we accept them. It just goes back and forth so many times throughout, throughout history. And that's, that's, I just, it's like, what makes us go on? What, it was just like, it was so, it was so in my face because it wasn't just all over the world. It was just in this one little city. And and so many times back and forth. What what is it that that we take so seriously that makes us go on throughout all of that stuff? And I think you just gave me a part of an answer. That's right. Uh, that, please remember that. <laughs> yes. Okay. She has a sorry pursuing it as well. So, uh, it, isn't Islam supposedly descended from, isn't Ishmael? The yes. Arabs, yes, Islam, the Arab peoples, and then by extension, Muslims consider Ishmael to be their, uh, their, their um, lineage. Maybe and that's where the wildness comes from. Maybe. Ishmael goes into the desert. Esau, Esau lives the in the goats. land of Seir, the land of mountain goats. Mm -hmm. The land of mountain goats, the uncharted land. The, um, and, and there's Jacob dwelling in tents. Intense, intense, I-N-T-E-N-S-E. A couple more comments, and then I'll let you go. Betty and then Gail. Don't remember. There's some, some customer who brought a goat and they would put it in the tunnels under Jerusalem or someplace and the goat had some meaning. Don't know. Julia? One of the things that affected me so much when we were talking about this a little while ago is that in every case that you mentioned about this mysterious ish, the consequences of that person's arrival in the story is enormous. Right, transformational. Life will never be the same. Like Joseph says later, when he comes out to his brothers, uh, you didn't send me here, God sent me here. Right. <laughs> but if he hadn't met that man in the field, he had to meet the man in the field. 
That's right. And Jacob says to his brother Esau, seeing you is like seeing the face of God. That's right. Is it, Gail, did you want to add something? I just was thinking of the pleasures of allowing oneself to get totally enraged. <laughs> and that it is, I mean, I'm sure we've all had the experience a couple of times in our lives. Oh, yeah. oh, just a couple. Oh, yeah. At least a couple. A day. Yeah. Not, not, not caring about the consequences, yeah. just doing it. And um, Feels it's great. a great pleasure. It really is. And, this is, and if there are other aspects of that we watch, you know, but, but that we're giving up. In the long run, it's not worth it. No. But and there's something that's very appealing. <laughs> and one can say that for other, yes. other things, not just anger, but yeah. So I want to come back to this, but mm. as you can see why I couldn't resist uh, a dig, sort of excavating here with you, because I, I was... I. I was noticing all these things. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.